So I just want to share a message with you tonight. Um, just a few thoughts, really. On the five senses um, and the kind of spiritual symbolism I get from thinking about the five senses. Each of them represents actually a bunch of different things, but the things I'm just going to share with you are the things that stood out to me personally, and my hope is that in our mentor groups we can just explore those a little bit further and actually just see what else could connect to those five senses when we just think about it. So before we do any of that, let's just bow our heads for a second. Commit our time to the Lord. Father, we just thank you so much for um, every person in this room, Lord, every person who is hearing this or who will hear this, Lord. We just um, pray for your presence to be among us, Lord. We pray that your word would not return to you empty tonight, Lord Jesus. We just pray that um, you just be with every heart, every ear, Lord, that we would be open and receptive to your word, Lord Jesus. Um, bless us and speak to each of our hearts tonight. Be with us. In your precious name we pray. Amen. So the five senses and the true meaning from God's Word on each of these senses. A one-off, right? Because I think there are a few. Let's start with sight. Sight is one of our senses. We can see, hear, feel, touch. Yeah, sight. We'll begin with that one. Why don't we open up to Hebrews 11, verse 3. We're going to pull up a few references today, just to make a few points. Hebrews 11, chapter 3. If you've got your Bible, just follow along. If you don't, just look up on the screen. It'll be there. It says this, By faith we understand that the worlds which were framed by the Word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. The things which are seen, we're talking about sight, the things which are seen were not made from things that are visible. That's the first thing that you have to know. Then the second thing is right underneath it in verse 6, where it says this, But without faith it is impossible to please Him who is God. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, in that He exists, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. So from the very get-go when we start talking about sight, we see it linked with faith. For me anyway, I see it linked with faith. But it's not the kind of faith in something that I can see. From God's point of view, He wants us to use our eyes. But not to see what we see right in front of us right now. But to see beyond that, to see to Him, to see to the unseen. Let me give you one more. Romans 4.17 Just bear with me. A few thoughts, we won't take long. Just to start the discussion. Romans 4.17 says this, As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him who believed. God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. God sees things that aren't there and He speaks to them as if they are there and He brings them out of nothing into the real world. 
and He asks us to take hold of His promises in order to be able to do the same. Let me prove it to you. Let's open up to Joshua 6, verse 2. Joshua 6. You know what, actually... Let's start from verse 1. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. Jericho, you guys remember, is that city with the giant walls, right? And they marched around it and eventually it came down when they were blowing the trumpets and all of that stuff. Does anybody remember that story? Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Yes? Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. They were scared of them. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See! With what? Your eyes. But what? Your physical eyes? No. Your eyes of faith. Your spiritual eyes. See! I want you to see. That's the first. With excla- Mine has an exclamation mark after the word see. It's see. See. I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all you and your men of war. You shall go all around the city once. This you shall do for six days. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times. And the priests shall blow the trumpets. And it shall come to pass... When they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout, then the wall of the city will fall down flat. There's no like guessing here from God's point of view. Now, just you're Joshua, right? Because every time we read a story, we should actually step into the shoes of that character as much as we can, from my perspective anyway, right? Joshua, you're standing there, you see a giant city with an impenetrable wall. Nobody's ever breached it before. Okay? You're standing in front of it. You've got an army behind you, right? With men, women and children as well behind the army. And God is saying, See, I've given it to you. Does Joshua see that with his physical eyes? He sees a giant wall that hasn't been breached with men with spears and bows and arrows standing on top of it. That's what Joshua actually sees but God paints a picture for him and he says listen I already see the things that are not the things that don't exist yet for Joshua there was no victory at that point when God said see there was no victory at that point but it just said see see what see what I'm about to show you see that you will go out with your army You will march around it. You will blow a trumpet and the walls will fall down. None of that has happened yet, Joshua, but it will. And I need you to see it with the eyes of faith. And seeing it with those eyes of faith, I need you to act upon what you see in the Spirit. Not what you see in the flesh, what you see in the Spirit. Second Corinthians four eighteen. It's beautiful, beautiful verse. It says this.
while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. So we look, we're using sight. Sight is one of our senses. We're looking, but not physically. We look at the things that are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So the question tonight is, what are you looking at? I associate sight, for me personally, with faith. What are you looking at? When God gives you a promise and says, look, you don't see it yet. You don't, but I do. And to me, it's already the past. Look, you will do this. You, you will, right? But I see the end result. It will fall down. I already see that. I need you to see it too and to walk towards it. When God gives us a promise, how do we react? Do we see what He sees? And do we walk where He wants us to walk because of what we see? Not in the flesh. I don't see that I've passed that course or that I've done that exam well or that I've got that job or that I'm with that person in a relationship, my future wife, my future husband. I'm not there yet. I don't see it. But when God says to me, I'm your father. I'll take care of you. I will clothe you. I will feed you. I want to give you a purpose, a hope, a life, a future. See that with me. See with an exclamation mark. I don't like that there isn't an exclamation mark there because it is a marvelous thing when God says, See, I'm about to show you something that you can't ever see with your physical eyes. See beyond the temporary, beyond the physical to what is eternal. Because the things that don't exist yet, I see them. And I call them out into the physical world. We all know what happened. Joshua was faithful enough to actually walk around that wall. Six times, then the seven times, and it seemed ridiculous. That you would just walk and blow trumpets around a wall with an army, fully armed men, looking down at you, can shoot you at any moment. But he did it, and the walls did come down. Just as God said. 2 Corinthians 5.7 says, For we live by faith and not by sight. Touch. Touch. Let's turn to Matthew 8. Verse 1. Now listen carefully. This is one that actually Brother Dave back there pointed out to me a long time ago. When he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him. Another translation says, and knelt down before, yeah, and knelt down before him. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. <coughs> to me, I see touch linked with compassion. Jesus found the people who nobody was willing to touch. He went to the corners of 
every town and city, the outskirts where every outcast was placed. That random kid in your school who like came halfway through the term, nobody knows them, looks like a bit of a dork, nobody ever talks to that kid, right? He eats his lunch like in this sad little spot, like just within sight of the playground, but he's not actually playing with anyone. It's just, it's a sorry place to be, right? If Jesus was the same age as that kid, you wouldn't see Jesus walking to the playground. You would see Jesus walking to that kid. Compassion. The people who nobody is willing to go near. We spoke about brokenness last week. And I think we definitively know now that we're all broken. If you didn't know before, you know now. But in Jesus, we've been made whole. Praise God, right? But we're all broken in some way. Some more visibly than others. These men who were lepers, they literally lived in a little city outside the actual city by themselves. Nobody was allowed to touch them. Nobody was allowed to go near them. And they weren't allowed to go near anybody. So this dude... Insane, right? He actually broke the rules, so to speak, in order to come and kneel before Jesus. Wasn't even supposed to be there, right? And he says, Lord, if you're willing, that humility, and Jesus comes, reaches out his hand, and touches him. What was so striking to me in that passage, and especially the first time that Dave says it, is that there are men who were dying, who Jesus just spoke, Lazarus, come forth. He just spoke. He just said a word. Come forth. Lazarus was raised from the dead. Another man, he wasn't even in the same town. A servant came out and he's like, my, you know, my servant is dying. Can you please heal? I know that you can heal him. You don't even need to come near my town. He's like, today he's been healed. Done. He didn't even have to go to the town. He didn't even have to be within the vicinity of the person. So it's not like Jesus couldn't do it another way. But he made a point of touching a person. Be that leper for a second. How long has this man been a leper? I don't know, but it would have probably been years. Nobody, you take it for granted that somebody can just reach out and touch you. You take it for granted how much touch actually means to you and how big a part of your life it is. That man was missing that for years. Remember when we went to do the homeless packs, who was there to do any kind of like homeless ministry with us. Yeah, all of you guys, right? One of the biggest comments that we got is that, and one of the biggest things that we realize when we do that, is that people crave and are starving for conversation and for a touch more than anything else. Remember, I was telling you before we actually went out, let's be sure to actually shake the hands of the people who we're speaking to because they don't get touched very often, physically touched very often. People don't say their name for weeks on end, sometimes months on end. You hear your name all the time. People are recognizing that you exist, that you have a presence, that you are a soul, that you have feelings, that you have a life. People walk past, this is Melbourne, 2018. People walk past these people by the hundreds every day without ever acknowledging that they exist. This was that leper but to another degree because he had a physical disease. And Jesus chooses the one method of healing that nobody else would have. I'm going to physically touch this person on purpose to show them that I don't care about any of that brokenness, but I'm bigger than it. And he touches 
with compassion? Do we touch with compassion? Do we look for the broken? Do we look for the outcast? Do we go out into that place where we know that person needs somebody? That person needs somebody. Do we go there? Or do we stay on the playground with everybody else who's comfortable and laughing and having fun? They don't need you. The leper does. Luke 8.40 is one of the most remarkable passages of Scripture to me. And I'll tell you why. Luke 8.40 says this, And so it was when Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed Him, for they were all waiting for Him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged Him to come to His house. For he had an only daughter about 12 years of age, and she was dying. But as he went, the multitudes thronged Him. Now, as a woman was having a flow of blood for 12 years, who had spent all her livelihood, all her money, on physicians, on doctors, and could not be healed by any, she came from behind and touched the hem of his garment, and immediately her flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng you and press you, and you say, Who touched me? But Jesus said, Somebody touched me, for I have perceived power going out from me. Imagine this. You're on a, have you ever, like, who's ever been to like a third world? Egypt? Ever been, who's been to Egypt, yeah? Or like Thailand or any of those? You get on a train, right? And try to grab, like you try to grab onto something, right? And there's just people who are like, like there's another man's face, like here when I'm standing, like there's just there's people, every, there's people on people, there's people everywhere. There is no room for you to move or breathe, and you're just smelling like 17 different humans, right? That's what it means to be thronged. You're literally being touched from like everywhere. You can't walk without being touched and pressed. That's what being thronged means. So Jesus was thronged at the moment when this woman touched, not even him, the hem of his garments. Like someone touching my jeans, I'm not going to feel that. And Jesus stops everything and goes, who touched me? You're being thronged and you say, who touched you? A million people touched you. No. I perceived power going out from me when someone touched me. The touch of faith is unique. The touch of faith is unique. You come here to church every week. We're all, if Jesus is in the midst, which He promised that He is, we're all around Him, we're all singing, we're all praying, we're all worshipping. But how many of you touch Him with a touch of faith? How many of you approach God with a real approach of faith? You see, there were thousands of people physically touching Jesus, but only one got healed. The one who touched Him with faith. That was different. That was unique. And I wonder how 
we reach for Christ. I wonder whether we're exercised by faith when we actually reach for Christ. Or whether it's just a touch, a brush by, as we walk on our way. The touch of faith is unique. To me, touch is compassion. But it's also faith. Hearing. James 1. Who's still with me? Hands up. James 1, verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. I like that translation. It's pretty direct. Just do what it says. Just do it, Nike. Do what it says. Hearing. Okay, we're talking about hearing and now you're talking about doing. If I... I have a friend, I don't know why I have all these random morbid situations floating around in my head. If I have a friend, right, who's standing there in the middle of the road, there's a car coming towards my friend. I'm standing on the side of the road. I say to my friend, bro, there's a car that's about to hit you in about 15 seconds. Move. My friend stays there. You know what? Actually, he, just, he responded and it's like, that's alright man, don't worry. What does that mean? It means he actually heard me. He heard, he responded. He said, it's alright, don't worry. He heard that I just said, there's a car coming towards you at full speed and it's going to hit you in 15 seconds. Don't worry. Did he actually hear me? No, I would argue, no. Hearing, real hearing, biblical hearing is followed by action. To me, hearing is obedience. Hearing is followed by action. Hey, preach the gospel because the gospel is good and people will get saved if you preach the gospel and we're all required to preach the gospel. Amen to that, brother. Sweet. And you sit at home and you don't preach the gospel. Did you really hear what it said? No. No, you didn't because you didn't follow through. You didn't do anything. You just heard, but you never moved. Guess what? My friend is going to get run over by the car. Don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. I heard him warn me that there's a car coming. I'm going to be fine. That's, is that logic? And so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do what it says. James, a chapter later, says, For faith without works... Is that, or maybe it's actually the same chapter, I'm not sure, but very close in this region here. Faith without works is dead. I believe in who God is. I believe in what He promises. I believe in what He said. But I do nothing about it. Then you didn't hear anything. Hearing causes action. Biblical hearing causes obedience. Men, God called Abraham. God called Moses. God called... And then it says, And they acted in whatever way. They moved. They moved as a result of hearing God. There was action. There was movement. There was obedience. 
When we hear God through His Word, through nights like tonight, through friends speaking into our lives or praying for us or something we read on Facebook when we're scrolling up, when we hear Him, do we really hear Him? Do we really hear Him? Because biblical hearing is obedience to God. But then there's an extra dimension to it. Romans 10 verse 13 says this. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's a promise. How then shall... It's talking about the world now. How then shall they call on Him whom they have not believed? I'm just going to read it for him. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not... What? Heard. And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? You see, once you've heard God speak, really heard God speak, you have a responsibility that comes with that. To speak that same word that you heard, being the gospel, to others. So that they can hear it too. Because faith comes by hearing. That's another verse. Faith comes by hearing. How can they hear without someone preaching to them? You've heard. You've responded. You now have the obligation to preach that same word. And others will hear. And others will do the same. And it will be a blessing. Smell. Genesis 8, 20, verse 12. Don't say Genesis 8, 20, verse 12. What the heck? Here we go. Gen- just Genesis 8, 20. I don't know what the 12 is. We'll just... That's not the Bible I'm reading. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelt a soothing aroma. I don't know what it says here. Um, 20. 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of their flesh is evil. Talking about smell, the Lord smelled an aroma of what? Sacrifice. A sacrifice of what? Let's translate that to the New Testament. And open up Romans 12.1, a verse you should all be familiar with now. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present or offer your bodies a living what? Sacrifice. Holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. But there's another one. Revelations 8. 3 to 4. Then another angel having a golden censer 
came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. So here we get Noah offering up physical sacrifice but from the heart and it pleased God. And it came up before him as a sweet smelling savor, as an aroma, as a beautiful smell. Then we get in the New Testament, Romans 8 saying, Give your life as that offering. Lay down your life, your choices, your decisions, your wants, your needs, your desires on that same altar. I'm saying it. It's, it's very, guys, it's very easy to stand up here and say what I say. It's very easy. I'm just going to deviate for a second here. Hey, lay down everything you've ever wanted. Lay down the life that you imagined for yourself before God. I just said it. I will spend the rest of my life trying to live it out. It's not easy. It's easy to say things like this from up here, but it's not easy to live them. It's impossible to live them without the power of the Holy Spirit. But when we do that, when we choose God over us, it comes up before Him as a sweet-smelling aroma. It's pleasing to Him. And the last one, which was in Revelation, was about prayer. Prayer comes up before God as incense. If you've ever smelled incense, it can be pretty strong, but beautiful. It's a beautiful smell. Before God, before the very throne room of God, it's always there. Where He's sitting, that smell comes to Him. That sweet aroma comes to Him as we pray. And the last one, just before we go to taste, the last verse for smell, is in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Verse 15. If we actually live out this life, this life of self-sacrifice and actually surrender to God, a life of prayer, a life of worship, this is what we become. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. If we live this way in private, as we walk out to the rest of the world, this is what we look like to them the aroma of Christ. We become the fragrance of Christ among a world that's dying around us. There's so much brokenness around us, but we become the fragrance, the aroma of Christ when we live this way as we walk through the world. And the last one for tonight, taste. We go back to the very, very first instance of taste in the Word of God. Genesis 3 Verse 6, the verse that ruined us all. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasing to the eyes and it was desirable to make a person wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Then, then is a separating word. It shows consequence. Then, the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they, were sewed, they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Taste for me is about choice and experience. Or choice and experience slash consequence. There is sin. 
There is disobedience towards God. It looks pretty. It's pleasing to my eye, to my flesh, to my everything. It's pleasing. It involves multiple senses. But then I actually bite into it. That's a decision. That's a choice. I bite into it. And then that word is followed by whatever the consequences is of that decision. For us, it was the fall of humanity. Whatever your sin is, whatever that shiny apple that you keep biting into is, there's a then that comes after it. When you taste it, there is a then. X, Y, and Z happened. There's a consequence to it and it's bitter. As soon as they ate, they realized they were naked before God. And so were all of us. Isaiah 55 verse 1 gives a different perspective. It's God speaking now. It says this, Lo, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Next one. Why do you spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair, in the richest of banquets. You've got to eat something. You've got to eat. You're wired to eat by God. Physically and spiritually, you're wired to eat. You need to. It's a requirement. So you're going to eat something. Whether it's going to be that fruit that looks shiny that you want to bite into that God said, hey, don't eat that. It's bad for you. You can eat that, but there'll be a then. Or you could do this. Come and eat from me. Milk, honey, wine, bread. Costly things, but f from me you get them for free. You get them for free. Psalm 34 verse 8, you don't have to pull it up. It says this, Oh, taste, it's David saying, pleading with everybody else who's reading his song. He's saying, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, taste and see. There's the experience. There's a choice to eat from God's table instead of from Satan's table. Taste and you will see. There's the experience part. Taste and then see that the Lord is good. That God is good. So just to recap. Sight. God wants us to see with the eyes of faith. Not what's temporary, not what we already see and can believe, but what He sees and already believes for you and for me and for your friends and for your future. See that and live as if you see what does not exist yet, as if it does. Because to God, it does and it will. Touch. Do we have compassion on the lost? On the outcast? Do we see them the way that God sees them? Do we reach out when nobody else wants to? And when we do reach out to God, do we reach out and touch Him with faith? Or do we just touch? 
or is our touch attached to that beautiful, unique, powerful faith? When we hear, do we really hear God? Does our hearing cause action in us? Or does it cause us to just stand still and wait for the car? Do we hear and obey? And do we then pass on that same message to a dying world? Smell. Do we sacrifice our desires, our wants, our lives in service to God? Do we pray? Do we worship when it's most difficult in our lives? That's what comes up before God as a sweet smelling savor. Are we the aroma of Christ to a dying world around us? Taste. Do we choose to eat from God's table? Or do we choose to eat from the world's and Satan's? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, what we've just spoken about is beyond us. Um, we can't do it. Lord, without you, we can't do it. Um, I just pray, Lord, that you would give us eyes that see. That just see you, that see beyond the brick and mortar and people who we see around us, Lord. And just to see you in all your glory, in all your fullness, Lord. And that everything else would just be aligned to who you are when our eyes are spiritually opened, Lord. I pray that we can hear you and act, Lord. I pray that we can touch with your hands, Lord. I pray that we can lay down ourselves before you, Lord, on the altar. Lord Jesus, I pray that we can taste and see that you're good. Lord, just open our hearts, Lord, and let these words just remain with us, Lord, and encourage us, Lord. Um, just thank you so much for your presence and for your promises, Lord. And I just pray that you would make these so, so real in each of our lives, Lord. We thank you again. We commit the rest of the night in your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.